So I'd like you to, for a minute, just kind of imagine being thrown into an athletic game and you're not actually sure what the game is all about. You don't know when it started. You don't know if it has an end. You think it might. You don't know what the objectives are. You don't know what the score is or even how to score. You don't know if you're on offense or your defense. You're just, everything just seems to be this kind of like this huge mystery. And so what would you do? I mean, now, some of you don't have to imagine if you've got kids and they're playing on their first year of sports team, that's what you see out there. It's just random chaos. I mean, no one seems to know. And so if you were in a scenario like that, you might go and ask some of the other players, like, hey, what's going on? And as you do, some of the players, like, they're not really interested in such a question. Some of them are just, just frantically chasing the ball and running around and spending all sorts of energy. Others are kind of watching some birds flying by, and you're just like, okay, what, this is crazy. And then you see what looks to be like a coach, and so you, like, come up to this guy and say, hey, listen, what's the deal here? I, I've got some questions, and the coach doesn't look at you or respond whatsoever. He's, he's just kind of watching all the chaos that's going on there out in front of him, and he's yelling and saying, hey, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. Keep working hard. You're winning. And you're like, what? And then finally you see kind of a referee umpire looking guy and he's kind of standing over there by the side and you, you say, hey, I'd like some definitive answers to some of my questions. And he said, listen, I'm, the people out there, they're not really interested in what I have to say. They don't like it. So I'm just kind of hanging out here. Now, if you were in such a scenario like that, you would quickly lose interest in the game, if not even hate that you're in it, right? And I tell you this because tragically... This is the scenario for a lot of people who are trying to find meaning and purpose in a pluralistic society, in a culture that has lost its way. There are so many people that want to know why we're here, where we're going, what are we to do, how are we to live, and culture doesn't have answers, and the ones that they do give oftentimes contradict. And to make matters even worse... We have a lot of people who say they know God and they've read the Bible, but they can't actually give, give good answers to the purpose of life or what its meaning is or what its mission is. And so without a clarity of mission, all you've got is confusion, a waste of energy and resources and a lot of despair. And that dis- describes so many people in today's society. It may even describe you. And you're looking for answers. And we understand that you've got to have a clarity of mission. You've got to know why you're here, where you're going, why it's important. It, I mean, think about it. Like, if you're going to take your family on a vacation to a national park this year, you probably have a clear idea where you're going, how you're going to do it, why you're doing it. You might need to be reminded as the kids are going crazy in the van, but you, you know why you're doing it and how you're going to do that. You know... You knew, to know that clarity of mission is important if you're going to have a good, successful business. Uh, every successful athletic team has a clarity of mission. Um, our military, when they go into an area to bring about stability, I want you to know they've got a plan. They're not just making it up as they go. And what is true in all those scenarios needs to be especially true in life. You and I have to have clarity of mission. We've got to know why we're here. Now, As we've started this series on maturity matters, we began at the very beginning with the purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? Jesus 
gave the answer to that question in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. At its grand climax, in the conclusion, Jesus says this, that the purpose of life is to grow mature in Christ. And this is how he said it. He said, listen, he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The meaning and the, the purpose of life is to grow mature in Christ. And that happens when we come to Christ. We're trusting in him. We are hearing his words. We're understanding them. And we are putting them to, into action. We are applying them to our lives. We're building our life upon the rock. Just like a, a builder, he builds a house upon the foundation. If he wants that house to land, it's going to be strong and secure because he wants that house to be around for a long time. There's a lot of life that's going to take place and be experienced in that house. So he wants it built to last. And that is the purpose of life. That you and I come to a place where we truly know Christ and we're growing, we're hearing, we're understanding, and we're acting upon his word, we're building it into our life. And God not only wants us to know the purpose of life, he wants us to live a purposeful life. If you've come to a place where you are truly trusting in Christ as Savior, Lord, you're building your life upon the rock, you need to know that God has purposed you to be on a mission. He's got a priority. He wants you to be involved in the work that Jesus called making disciples. Remember it? We saw this last week. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Jesus, resurrected from the grave, appears not only to the 11 disciples, but he also appears to more than 500 others, likely at this time. And he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what I want you to do. If you know me, you are experiencing purpose in life, I want you to be about my business. So the priority of making disciples is going, as you're going. You are helping people identify with Christ. And that's symbolized in baptism. People that are baptized are identifying with Christ and his people. And he says, I want you to teach them all. Not just a few things. Not just, well, this is salvation, believe this, and just leave them there. I want them to know everything because why? Jesus is intent that people become fully mature because, after all, the purpose of life is to grow mature in Christ. And Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This isn't just building people up in truth apart from me. This is building people up in me, and their lives are filled with truth. And so a clear mission brings about a continual focus. So how does Christ's mission move forward? See, when you and I, when we come to a place where we're trusting in Christ, we come to a, a reality that we are actually a part of his body of believers. The New Testament pictures it this way, that Christ is the head, and those who believe in Christ are a part of his body. And it has all, 
types of different cells and different people can do different things. In fact, there's various gifts that are given to all these different people that are in the body. But that when you are a Christian, you are called to be in his body. You are actually a part of his body. And that body of believers is called the church. Now, oftentimes we, we think of a church as a building. But the church isn't a building so much as it is a community of believers who are growing together, maturing in their relationship with Christ. They become a visible expression of Christ to the community. They are, have a mission. God wants us to be involved in this work. And yet, if, if a church doesn't know the mission of making disciples, what happens is it's kind of like a juggler who goes finds a busy street corner he starts throwing some things around and starts gathering a crowd. And people are just kind of watching that. And they're like, well, I guess we're just kind of watching the juggler. No, God wants us to be about his work. It's to be in an everyday process of investing our lives in the lives of other people. And so he wants the mission clear. So what did it look like? So Jesus gives this great commission. What did it look like in the early church? Well, let me give an example in one man's life. The Apostle Paul. If you want to see what did the mission look like, this disciple-making mission look like moving forward, all you have to do is take a look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. First thing you're going to see, the disciple-making mission of Christ moves forward through the commitment of God's servants. Look at this. You want to see commitment? Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Do you see that? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What Paul is saying is like, listen, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to endure hardship and difficulty. In fact, I'll even rejoice in doing that. He says, because these are, I'll do it for the share, for the sake of his body, and these are sharing in what he calls Christ's afflictions, what are lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, Paul's writing this letter while he's in jail, so I'm sure he's got affliction first and foremost in, his, in front of him. He sees it. He's experiencing it. But what is this uh, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is there some way that uh, when Jesus died on the cross that there was a deficiency? Like, yeah, he almost paid for sins. Absolutely not. When Jesus dies on the cross, right before he dies, he says, it is finished. Salvation, the payment that is needed to pay the penalty for sin, is completed in Christ. Once and for all. Nothing could be added to it. But these sharing of afflictions, you see that? I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This isn't a suffering that brings about atonement for sins. This is a suffering that brings about the accomplishment of the mission. The mission of making disciples. And Paul knew this firsthand. That there is a suffering that takes place when you become a part of the body of Christ. You remember when... Paul, he was formerly known as Saul. He's on his way to Damascus as a Jewish leader who actually has the authority to find any people belonging to the way, that's what early Christians were called, to persecute them and haul them off to Jerusalem where they were going to probably face their undoing, if not their death. 
And while he's on his way to Damascus, there is a, he's like knocked down to the ground, and he hears this voice. And this voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul's going to Damascus to persecute who? Believers in Christ. When Jesus gets his full attention, he's saying, listen, you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. The head so clearly identifies with the body. The head in heaven feels the sufferings of the body that is on the earth. And Saul knew that. And so when he's talking about these afflictions and and suffering, as he's saying here, I share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, it is any difficulty, trial, uh, suffering, sacrifice that you experience because of the advancement of the cause of Christ. Whether it be financial, hardship, maybe you face some sort of animosity from non-believers, maybe you have people that even say they believe in God and they're creating all sorts of faction and, and sort of divisive behavior and they're slandering your good name, whatever it might be, any affliction that you have because of your identity with Jesus, it is the afflictions of Christ. And how does the mission, the disciple-making mission move forward? It moves forward through the commitment of God's servants. You see, you know what's important to you by what you're willing to sacrifice for. I mean, think of it. What will you go out of your way like, this is a non-negotiable, got to have this. I'm going to cut a lot of things, but I'm not cutting this. What is it? Whatever that is, is what is most important to you. And Paul is saying, listen, for me, you know, if I got to suffer, I'll rejoice in that. I'm doing it for the body. And I'm going to share in Christ's afflictions. You see, that's how the mission moves forward. It moves forward through the commitment of God's servants. And look at verse 25. This disciple-making mission moves forward through the communication of God's word. Look at verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. He's saying, I am, I am like a manager God has given me a responsibility to shepherd, to care for, to feed, to lead in a church. And that's what I do. And he says, I want you to know why I'm willing to suffer. I'm going to go through hardships and difficulties because I am committed to what? To preaching the word of God. What did Jesus say? The Great Commission? I want you to teach them all that I commanded you. What is Paul doing? He's doing just that. He's going, he's helping people identify with Christ, and he is teaching the whole counsel of God. He's presenting scripture to people, not just a little bit, not his favorite few verses, all of it. Why? Because he wants people brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ, because it is the word of God that opens up the shutters of one's mind. This is where you experience hope and peace. This is where you find a sense of identity. You see, it's the scriptures that fuel your life and and create a passion for Jesus. This is where you're going to find life. The word of God brings truth. And so Paul is personally completely investing himself in making sure that the word of God is taught. Why? Because he's living out the Great Commission. And why is he willing to suffer? Why is this 
high commitment. Why is this emphasis on communicating the word of God? It is for this sole reason. You find it in verses 26 and 27. For the Christ-centered growth of God's people. Look at this. He says, I want to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery. Which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, all of his sacrifice, all of the commitment, all of the teaching, it is for this purpose. It is the purpose of life that to develop a Christ-centered growth among God's people. And so he refers to it, he says, it's a mystery, of this mystery. Now, this does not refer to something like a secret ritual. Rather, the mystery refers to God's unfolding plan of, of how he is going to reveal himself, specifically redemption through the Messiah. And in the Old Testament, in former times, they were, the prophets were given key pieces of truth about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. But there were some things that were just an absolute mystery that are revealed in the New Testament, given to us in the Word of God. That's why Paul is teaching the Word, because the Word reveals the truth, the mystery. And the mystery is this, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the most profound and significant truth of the Bible. It is at the heart of the new covenant that when you believe in Christ, he literally unites you with him eternally and that his spirit literally takes up residence in your life. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's not just for Jewish people. The mystery revealed is that it's for even non-Jewish people, Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles. The Colossians, mostly Gentiles, but they are believers in Christ, and Christ is now alive in their heart. This is at the heart of God's purpose for humanity, to know Christ. You see this like in the New Testament, like in Galatians 2.20, Paul writes this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is where hope is. This is true spirituality. This is the purpose of life. Christ in you. Ephesians three seventeen. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. There are so many people that are confused that think that to be a Christian is like a transaction, like you do insurance. You want this coverage? Buy this policy. Don't want to go to hell? Believe a few things about Jesus? You're good to go. You're good to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is believing in Christ And Christ literally uniting himself with you. He secures your salvation and you have a living relationship with the living God for eternity. That is what makes you a Christian. 
is that you are permanently united with Christ by God's sovereign doing. And you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is that possible? It's possible because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Nothing you can do can separate you from Christ. It is the purpose of life to know him. And Paul is saying, listen, this is the Great Commission. This is how it's lived out in my life. And I am giving myself so that people will discover and experience the joy of knowing the living Lord. It's why I'm committed, why I'm suffering, why I'm teaching, why I'm going, because I am committed to this discovery. You know, when you have a big discovery, it it just has a way of changing everything for you. Like, I don't know if you read the news, uh, what's happening in Japan, but have you heard about the huge discovery that they've had? So this came out in a report on April 10th of this year. It's referred to as a game changer. In one of the islands of Japan, uh, underneath the water there in the sea, they have discovered like the mother load of rare earth elements. I mean, this particular island is now, uh, it's, they can't even put a price tag on how valuable it is. These particular rare earth elements are used anything from iPhones to missile systems, electric vehicles, rechargeable batteries, turbines. I mean, this is, these materials are so valuable and they're used in so many things. And the problem is, is that they are very rare, or at least they were very rare into this discovery. Now it's believed that this particular island will, for hundreds of years, in fact, it's referred to as, quote, a semi-infinite basis for the world to have all the rare elements that we need for everything from, like we talked about, iPhones and missile systems and medical equipment. Now, the, they, they estimate right now that what they found is worth over $500 billion. Now, it's going to take some work to extract it, But let me assure you, it's worth it. What's rather fascinating is how the discovery even came about. Uh, uh, Before this discovery, China owns about 95% of all the precious metals. And so they distribute it, and they set the timetable of when they're released, and they can keep prices really high. Japan absolutely needs these precious metals because they're involved in electronic production. That is one of their key industries. Well, in 2010, there was a dispute between China and Japan over some islands. They both said they had ownership, and China said, well, I don't think so. And so that 2010 shipment of these rare materials, we're not sending it. And it caused the price to skyrocket. It went over 10 times as high as it used to be. And that need created this search. And so the Japanese began fervently searching, devoting a lot of time and energy to try to find these rare precious metals. And they found them in this island. And I tell you that because that's a lot like our lives. You see, need drives the search. When you've come to your own inadequacies and your failures and your sin and your need to learn how to love and how to forgive, and you need strength way beyond what you've got. You need some leadership skills. You need what you don't have. When you are finally broken and desperate and saying, God, help me, from our position of need, God freely gives us the riches that are in Christ. 
And yeah, just like the Japanese, they're going to do some mining. So we will. So it's going to take some work and some investment to explore. Notice what Paul said. They are the riches of the glory of this mystery. It's the riches of God's compassion and his grace, strength, wisdom. All of this comes from God. It's found in Christ. But you've got to want it. And you've got to be willing to dig. Because remember what Jesus said. Remember the purpose of life? Everyone who hears my words, right, and acts upon them, he's like a wise man who does what? He digs and he builds his life upon the foundation. And so Paul says, that's what I'm about. This is the gospel. You see, God freely gives what you and I never earn, we don't deserve, and he gives everything in Christ. Salvation, hope, peace, eternal relationship, wisdom, skill, all of this is from him. And friends, this is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. We're not trying to get people to conform to certain rules, not to follow certain routines and rituals. What we are trying to do is help people to understand the glories of the riches of relationship with Christ. And if you don't know that, or if a church doesn't know that, it's like playing an athletic game and you have no idea what it's about or what you're supposed to do. So let me talk about God's purpose. And you want to keep the mission memorable. Let me give you a a real easy way to keep it memorable. Because if you can keep the mission memorable, it's most likely going to be personally meaningful. And so let me just tell you that the mission of Fellowship Bible Church is to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. Glorify God to exalt the living God so that we will live out the life that we have in Christ. Life is an acronym, L-I-F-E. And L-I-F-E is an easy way to remember the salient features of a maturing, growing faith in Christ. What does it look like to live out this life where Christ is in us? How does it grow? How does it mature? Well, let's look at life. It's manifested and matures by L for loving God. You see, this is at the heart of, of relationship with God, is to come to a place where you know how much you were loved by him, and you start reciprocating that love. It's to know the joy of being in relationship. I mean, think about people that you love. You like to talk with them, you like to be with them, hang out with them, do things, have experiences, right? I mean, like my family. I just like, I love being with my wife. And with my kids, I just like being around them. I like being a part of that family. And so it is with God. He wants us to come to a place where we are learning how overwhelmingly loved we are by him. And to reciprocate that love. Remember when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Can you tell me? Greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said this, he said to him, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's when we are loving God, we experience the joy of this relationship with God. And it also makes us willing to share that kind of love with others. And so what we want to do is develop patterns in our very busy, crazy lives where we are slowing down, we are at rest, 
And we're expressing a love for God. And you can express a love for God when you're experiencing it. When you have your heart refreshed by the reality, God loves you immensely. So how do you grow and mature in this life in Christ? It's loving God. I is for investing in others. Remember what Jesus said? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you come to a place where you know how much you're loved by God, you start developing a concern for others that they will experience this life. You're willing to invest. You see, the messenger embodies the message. You start actually investing in others. You minister from the overflow. You know, before you and I were a Christian, we were ultra self-centered. We would only invest in others if we felt like there was a lot of benefit for us. But God has a way of changing that, and he does it through his love. He does it through his son. And we start being interested in others. It takes on a whole new importance. We start taking the initiative. We'll express care. We have concern for others. We're learning how to ask good questions. We're learning how to listen. We'll be involved in, in discipling people. We'll, we'll take advantage of ministry opportunities. Why? Because we need to fill up our time? No. Because we love God and we are concerned about others. We invest ourselves with others. And I'll tell you, I am so thankful for the people who have and continue to invest in me. This morning, I got a text. I got a couple of pastor friends who are having serious health issues. This one guy, for about the last year, he's been immobilized by his... He can't, he's preached twice in the last year. So he prays for me. And he sent this amazing text, and it was a prayer for me this morning. So grateful. Why? What is he get, what's this guy doing? He's investing in others. Why? Because he loves God. And think about for you. Can't you name people that loved God and loved you enough that they invested in your life? That's how you grow. That's the Christ-centered life, investing in others. And then I'll show you. Remember, it's really easy to remember. Life, loving God, investing in others. Let me give you the third, F. This Christ-centered life was manifested and matured when we follow his word. You see, as we're dependent upon the spirit of God, God takes his word And he brings transformation through his revelation. You can't grow unless you eat. Right? You know that physically. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 2, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Babies know it. If they're going to grow, they've got to eat, right? And so they make a scene, and they like, no, 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 we're stopping. No, you're done watching that show. No, you're not doing this. We're eating now, right? Why? Because they know it's time to eat, and I can't grow unless I eat. You know, what we want to do with our kids, we want to help them come to a place where they can feed themselves, right? I mean, like with my kids, we would play all sorts of games to get them to eat, you know, strained peas and all these things that are good for them, right? Open up your mouth, here comes the plane, you know. And, and it's all fun and it's messy and stuff. But, you know, by the time the kids get to, like, elementary school, you want them to be able to feed themselves, certainly by junior high. You, it, it's embarrassing. It's like, I'm not sure why the kids don't like you. Okay, because it because you can't eat by yourself? What? No, you want to make sure they can do it, right? I want you to know something. God wants you to grow. 
He wants you to be a self-feeder of the Word. Yes, good messages. Listen to sermons. But come to a place where you're incorporating the Bible for yourself. Let me just give you three questions that will really enrich your Bible study. One, ask this question. What is this passage teaching? What is this passage teaching about God and about heaven and about sin and about leadership and about trials and forgiveness and compassion and dealing with adversity? And then ask this question. Why is it here? There is a reason why it is written. And so ask God, why did you include this? Everything from the genealogies all the way to Jesus' final statement at the very end of the book where he says, listen, I am coming quickly. You know, all of that is there for a reason. Try to figure that out. Ask God. He'll show you. And let me give you the third question. Lord, how do I respond? I see what you're written, you've written. I, um, I'm coming to an understanding why it's here. Lord, how do you want me to respond to your truth? He'll make it clear. You'll be relationships that'll come up. There'll be sin issues that he's addressing in your life, steps of growth. You're afraid. He's saying, I want you to walk by faith, not fear. He will do it through the word. And it all comes to this Christ-centered life, just learning how to follow his word. Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which does its work in you who believe. This book isn't just a collection of nice uh, phrases, statements, and thoughts from various guys. This book is from God for your growth and mine. Transformation through revelation. It informs our head, our understanding. God uses his word to change our heart, what we believe, based upon the truth he's revealed. And those beliefs, those convictions start guiding and governing our behavior. It affects how we use our hands. And what happens as you're following his word, he develops a biblical worldview. You now have the answers to life's most important questions, like origins, where did I come from, meaning, why am I here, morality, how should I live, and destiny, where I am headed. It's not a mystery. Life isn't like, I have no idea why I'm here, where I'm going. No, you got absolute clarity. In fact, you even have a mission to grow in this maturing relationship with Christ. And I will tell you that a steady diet of truth will bring a lifetime of growth. And then finally, an easy way to remember how to grow in this life we have in Christ, loving God, investing his word, following, investing in others, following his word, and E, engaging our world. You see, we take the message and we bring it to others. When you value your relationship with Christ and the gospel, you will actually start trying to take it to others. If you don't value it, it's just going to sit on the sideline. But as you value, you move forward. And you see yourself as representing Christ where you work, in your family, at school, on the team, in your group. You represent Christ. You see yourself differently, and you grow in this relationship with Christ when you're willing to engage the world. And this is the mission, to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. Now, you might be sitting here going, does Jesus really care? about mission? I mean, is he really concerned about us following the mission? Well, if you have any question, all you have to do is look at the last book of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, personally has seven letters written to seven different churches. 
Vegeism delivered by key elders to each of these churches to be read. And in those letters, you know what he addresses? Where they're on target and where they've missed the mark. Actually, the mission of the church and the church's um, fulfillment of that mission, it's critically important. And so at Fellowship, we're not into program so much as we are into personal development. We want people to know and grow in the beauty and the joy of knowing the living Lord. It's like a hunter. A hunter calibrates his gun. You want to make sure those sights are directly on. A captain of a ship or a pilot of a plane, they want to make sure they know where they're going, why it's important, and how to get there. And for your life, you want to ask God, Lord, show me where I'm on track. Show me where growth is needed. And he will. But the mission of the church is this, to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. So let's make sure we don't miss the mission. One of the great American sports shooters is a guy by the name of Matt Emmons. In 2004, he went to his very first Olympics. Um, It was expected that he would do well, but prior to the Olympics, uh, somebody actually vandalized his best gun in April. When he goes to the Olympics in 2004, he goes and takes a borrowed gun. He actually gets his first gold medal, and he's just about ready to get his second gold medal in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. And all he has to do on his final shot is just hit the target. He doesn't even have to get a bullseye. He is that far in front to get a gold medal. And so Matt Emmons stands up, and he shoots, and he makes a good shot. In fact, it should have been an 8.1, but there's no score that comes up. And here's a picture of Matt Emmons. He's like, man, what is it? The thing broke? Man, it made the shot. And 8.1 have been well enough for him to get a gold medal. But then these judges, they all get together and they huddle up and they're, they're talking. And everybody's trying to figure out, like, what the world's going on? And they break their huddle and they make this statement that this is an extremely rare mistake in elite competition. But the shooter standing in lane two shot at the target in lane three. And his score, a zero. His score for a good shot at the wrong target yielded nothing. And friends, I I tell you this. You know, for Emmons, instead of the medal stand, he was in the grandstand. And you and I, it doesn't matter how accurate your aim, if you're aiming at the wrong goal, friends, you've missed it. Don't make a good shot at the wrong target. And the mission of the church is this, to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, how powerful it is. And Lord, we see that you want us on mission to glorify the Father by living out the life we have in Christ. If there is someone who has come here today who has never trusted in Jesus, would they just pray with me now and say, Lord, I turn from myself, I turn from my sin. I've been shooting at the wrong target. It is very obvious. I, this morning, ask for forgiveness of sin. And I ask for life in your son. There's life in Christ. And Lord, for all of us who do know you, may we just continue to grow. May this continue to be the vibrant part of our DNA. 
That is, Christ in us being manifested, we're growing and enjoying you and being everything that you've wanted us to be as individual believers and as the church. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.